Duke looks at me, his bright gray eyes like electric drill bits. They don't move and he doesn't step closer, but I still feel like his gaze is stabbing into me, boring holes to see what's at my core, what I'm hiding. I have to swallow my panic, telling myself with mantra-like determination that he doesn't know what I've done, what I'm about to do. I stand a good 12 feet away in the loft, but it feels like I'm standing right in front of Duke, within arm's reach. Finally, there's movement below his eyes. His brown beard cracks open in a snaggletooth smile, and his eyes finally find another target as he cackles, <laughs> dumping the duffel bag full of cash and jewelry on the table. The other guys take their cue from Duke, laughing it up and releasing the tension that held through the job and the ride back here. Simp and Teach already have beers in hand, and Rolf is pulling out a bag of cocaine from his watch pocket, what he calls his Coke pocket. The high windows in the loft show only darkness, but the lights inside give it a kind of cozy feeling. For a long time, I felt safe in the loft, but not anymore. Things have gone off the rails lately, and that's why I have to do what I'm about to do, even if it doesn't really make sense. Well, that, and I'll go to prison for a very long time if I don't do it. The four men are gathered around the table right now, but I know they'll soon move off to other parts of the loft, and I can't let that happen. The mysterious man's words echo in my head as I stand there, getting the nerve to pull the case out of my back pocket. Do it just after you guys get back from the job, the man says. Don't wait too long or it'll seem suspicious. He didn't say it like there was anything to worry about. He said it like he was giving me instructions on how to bake a pizza. Simple, easy, straightforward. Yeah, right. He said his name was Jones. That's all I got. But every time I think of him, and the way his people swooped me up that night, the word spook comes to mind. There are a couple of couches facing a television in one corner of the loft. A pool table sits in another. There's also an open kitchen off to my right. Duke lives here, sleeping in one of the bedrooms at the far end of the warehouse turned living space. There's no predicting what he'll do. Sometimes he stays up in parties, other times, he disappears into his bedroom and doesn't come out for hours. One time he came out naked, bloody, and holding a hatchet, yelling at us to leave. Rolf says he's done too much acid, but I think Duke has always been like that, always half crazy, yet he has a magnetic power, getting me to do things I never would have done. My mind flashes back to the people in the house we just left, the blood the smile on Duke's face as he played with the old couple, using the knife he always carries. He never kills them, but I'm sure some of them wish they were dead after what he does to them. I step forward, taking the case out of my back pocket. It's about the size of a wallet, but it's black and fuzzy, like a jewelry case. Trying to keep my voice from shaking, I say, I almost forgot, I found this in the house might be worth something. I set the case down on the table amid the other loot. Rolf looks up from the other side of the circular wooden table where he's cutting up lines of white powder. 
Simp and Teach don't even seem to notice, but Duke does. Those icy eyes land on me again. You almost forgot, he says. If I didn't know any better, Spew, I'd say you were thinking about holding out on us. Simp and Teach suddenly stop chatting, looking over at me. The loft is quiet. I smile, knowing that bumbling denials would be the exact wrong thing to do. I may be greedy, but I'm not that fucking greedy. Duke cackles again, (laughs) and the tension goes out of the room. Let's see what we got here, he says. I gotta use the head, I announce, stepping away from the table. The spook's instructions repeat in my head. You want to be at least 35 feet away when they open that case. If you're not, I can't help you. Don't you want to see what's inside? Rolf asks from behind me. I already did, that's why I took it. I say without stopping, heading towards the bedrooms and the bathroom. A good 40 feet away. I want to run, but I have to resist the urge. As I near the doorway that leads to the other section of the loft, I glance over my shoulder. The only thing I can think is that there's explosives in the case, so I'm expecting them to go off any second. But as I look back, all I see is the four men staring down at the open case, like whatever's inside is the most beautiful thing they've ever seen. The lid is open toward me, so I can't see what it is. The spook certainly didn't tell me. In fact, he made it very clear that I wasn't to open it at all. So I didn't, afraid it would explode if I did. Teach, a small, wiry man with black hair and sunken cheeks, reaches a hand out toward it just as Duke does the same from the other side. Duke moves swiftly, shoving Teach hard, knocking the man onto his ass and spilling his beer. Don't touch it, Duke shouts. For a moment, I think he knows. He knows it's dangerous, or that it's a setup but he turns his back to it and reaches for it again, a small smile on his bearded face. Simp, a large man in his late thirties who always wears long sleeve plaid shirts, moves around the table and elbows Duke in the chest, getting him out of the way. My eyes go wide at this. It's not uncommon to see Duke go crazy on people, but it's a whole other thing to see anyone treat Duke the same way. As Simp reaches down to the case, Rolf is moving, the cocaine forgotten. He has the body and grace of an athlete, despite the continuous drug use. Sleeveless muscle shirts and jogging pants are the only things he ever wears. He punches Simp in the side of the head, sending the man to the ground. Rolf grabs up the object from the case, lifting it in front of his face. It's some kind of coin, larger than a silver dollar. I can't tell from this far away what kind of design, if any, it has on it. But as he lifts it, I think I see some kind of clear plastic casing around it. Rolf seems happy only for a moment. Then his face falls, and he studies the coin closer, maybe noticing the casing. A half-conscious noise escapes me as Duke comes up behind Rolf. Duke is a small man, and he has to reach up to drag the edge of his switchblade across Rolf's throat. Blood spurts out of the gash and onto the coin in Rolf's hands. Amazingly, Rolf doesn't drop the coin. Instead, he grips it in his right fist while his left hand goes to the wound on his neck, 
his eyes rolling in pain and surprise. Duke yanks Rolf onto the floor next to the table. Glass shatters nearby, and I look over to see Teach holding a broken beer bottle by the neck. He moves in as Duke tries to pry the coin from Rolf's hand. Teach stabs the jagged edge of the bottle into Rolf's right wrist. His hand opens, allowing Duke to yank the coin out. Duke scuttles away, but Teach is right behind him, chest heaving and a crazy, determined look on his face. He lunges toward Duke, stabbing the man in the upper back with a broken bottle. Duke shouts and twists away, slicing at Teach with his knife, dragging the blade down the other man's face. Teach screams as the blade slices through his right eye. He throws himself backward, landing on an unmoving Rolf, cupping both hands around his eye. Simp is getting up now, dazed from the blow to the head. Duke's attention is on the coin, so he doesn't seem to notice as Simp stalks over toward the pool table on the side of the room near where I'm standing. He's obviously going for a pool cue, but he has to track into the far corner of the room to get one off the rack affixed to the wall. He grabs a cue and turns around. Confusion comes over his face. He looks around the room like he's seeing it for the first time. What the fuck are we doing? He says, more to himself than me. Teach screams again, which catches Simp's attention. Holy shit, Teach! The big man says and moves toward his friend to help. Cue still in his hand. He makes it to Teach, but he doesn't do anything to help. His head turns slowly to look at Duke, who no longer has his knife in hand. He's using both hands, struggling to get the plastic casing off the coin. I suddenly understand the 35 feet rule the spook gave me. Duke left the radius when he came to get the pool cue and snapped out of it for a moment. But as soon as he went back, he fell under the thing's spell again. What the hell is that thing? Simp steps over and swings the pool cue at Duke like a baseball bat. The top of the cue snaps off against the back of Duke's head. The man rocks forward, dropping the coin. Simp drops the broken cue and lunges for the coin, trapping it under his hands against the floor. Duke is in a daze, but he comes out of it as Simp picks the coin up and starts working at getting the case off. Duke looks around for his knife, but doesn't immediately see it. What he does see is the broken pull cue. Simp gets his fingernails between the two sides of the case and pulls it open. The coin pops out, spinning in the air a few times as it falls. It hits the concrete floor and then rolls right over to Teach, who is no longer screaming. Simp scrambles over just as Teach picks the coin up. Something strange happens to Teach as he touches it, his one good eye going wide, mouth going slack. But then Simp is upon him, straddling him, trying to pry his fist open. Duke runs up behind them and stabs down with the broken pool cue, impaling Simp through the back, who screams and collapses on Teach. But Duke doesn't stop there. He shoves again and again, pushing the sharp tip down through Duke and into Teach below, stabbing him in the chest as both men squirm and scream. Before long, they go silent. Duke moves around and opens Teach's fist with ease. He grabs the coin, his eyes going wide and mouth slack as soon as he does. After a moment, Duke glances around the room, confused. He looks over at me, his eyes different somehow, Faded, less intense. Who are you? He says. I don't answer. My pulse is through the roof, and a cold sweat makes my shirt stick to my back. I've just watched Duke kill three men I've known for years. Duke stands up and sets the coin down on the table. He looks around at the mess, the bodies on the floor, 
What the fuck? This doesn't make any sense, he says, on the verge of crying. My phone vibrates in my pocket. I know who it is. He told me he'd call when it was all over. I dig the phone out of my pocket and answer it. I think that went well, don't you? Jones, the spook, says. What's wrong with him? What did that thing do to him? I ask. Don't you worry about him. Go into the farthest bedroom and stay there until you hear me on the other side of the door. I've got some men with special equipment coming in. They'll take care of everything. What will happen to Duke? What do you mean? He just killed three people. You saw it yourself. He'll be going to death row. Enough with the questions. This is done. You did good. Now go back and wait until you hear my voice on the other side of the door. I do as I'm told. And after a couple of hours, Jones knocks on the door. I open it up and he comes in with two other men in suits. One of them has a syringe in his hand. How many times have you done this? I ask him. The spook smiles. I don't suppose there's any harm in telling you. You won't remember any of it soon anyway. We use this particular tool when there's no other way to do things. You see, your friend Duke is an informant. He's protected. The agency that protects him, I won't name names, allows him to get away with all kinds of shit because he feeds them information on bigger fish. Do you see? I shake my head. Even they can't protect him from a triple murder, the man continues. This way, we get him off the streets and there's nothing that agency can do. The smug bastards are shit out of luck. It just so happens we have these murders on tape. Too bad, so sad. Duke's done, he's cooked. And even if the agency knows we orchestrated it, there's nothing they can do. The spook chuckles, reveling in his accomplishment. It's all much bigger than you, he says. Much more than your feeble brain can understand. Not that it matters. You won't remember anyway. He gestures to the two men who have been standing silently just inside the doorway. They move forward. One of them shoves me down onto Duke's bed and holds me there. The other has the syringe. He leans over me. There's a small, sharp pain as the needle goes into my neck. SCP-1072 resembles a dull metal disc with no design stamped on it. It has no apparent unusual physical characteristics. When in its case, all subjects who approach within 10 meters of the object report that they feel drawn to open the case. The compulsion appears to be weak and can be resisted without great effort. However, subjects display a strong compulsion to touch the object when the case is opened. Nearly all subjects report that they perceive it to have the allure of a polished disc of pure gold. Many subjects further describe an overpowering sense that taking the object would somehow improve their enjoyment of life. Upon physically touching SCP-1072, total memory replacement occurs. This almost invariably results in extreme disorientation and often severe mental breakdown. These effects are due to the subject having a completely different memory of their life up to touching the object. This causes them to be unable to reconcile their current situation with their memory of the previous moment. Time taken to recover from the disorientation is variable, ranging from seconds to hours. In this time, the subject appears immune to the compulsion of touching the object. However, 
As soon as the disorientation wears off, subjects will generally make another attempt to touch it. If left uninterrupted, subjects will enter a loop of touching the object. Such loops continue until the cumulative psychological strain causes either permanent brain damage or catatonia. Experiments with translucent coatings over the disc show that subjects will try feverishly to touch the material of the disc itself and will not be satisfied until they do.